0: back we are back welcome everyone to match point number nine a tennis bets podcast i wanted to co-host here david ej Berger. you can find our show handle at mp9 tennis on x and all the socials you can find our show on spotify apple podcasts pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts these days please do subscribe if you're a first-time listener chance starts how you found us if you're a returning listener a returning champion welcome back i'm based in california where it's surprisingly sunny and beautiful outside today. And I'm tossing it to my main man in Canada, where I expect that winter is in full swing. Mr. John Reed at Jared Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for Tibbetts Tennis, his own brand. Action Network betting expert. He does post-match analysis for the tennis form ticker. John, what's the the weather like for you over there?
1: It's funny, man, this was not coordinated, by the way, just for everyone listening. Uh, our first snowfall, I woke up today, uh, there was there uh, there were there was a snowfall last week, but it was one of those snowfalls, obviously I was going to say, you know what I mean, but you don't know what I mean, uh, where it falls and melts as soon as it hits the ground. Today was the first I woke up in the morning and go, oh, look at that, there's about an inch of snow on the ground, so it's it's almost melted now because it got back above zero, but you're right, uh, Winter winter's in full swing, this is my time of year, uh, everyone else enjoys the summer and laughs at me because I think it's too hot, now I get to laugh at them because they think it's too cold, so ha! Eat it, everyone else in Canada.
0: <laughs> Hockey season in full swing as well.
1: Yeah, the Toronto Maple Leafs are teasing their fans and playing like lazy bums again and prima donnas as always. You know, that some things never change. Some things never change, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, well, we're in a down period for tennis, but that doesn't mean that tennis talking stops. And that's why we're here today. to keep our, our wheels turning as we look forward to 2024 in this new ATP season. And last time out, we did a buy and sell episode. We just kind of cherry picked some guys we liked and uh, and disliked for 2024. And we're going to run it back with a buy-sell format once again for this episode, a part two. But we, we're a little bit more structured uh, because there's a lot of guys out there. And I think just hearing their names, getting your mind thinking about them is good as we are just inching closer to uh, the new season. We have an entry list out for Hong Kong, I believe, which is great. What we're gonna do is, we're gonna not talk about the top 30, we're gonna talk about 30 to 100, go every 10 guys and talk a buy and a sell in that 10 guy tier. We're gonna kick it off with 31 to 40 in the ATP rankings. And let me read off these these guys, because I feel like it's good to know where each player stands. 31 is Yuri Leheshka, 32, Alexander Bublik, 33, Laszlo Gera, 34, Chris Eubanks after his splash 2023. Quartered Wimbledon. 35, Aslan Karatsev, 36, Archer Feast. 37, Borna of Chorich. He had kind of a poo-poo. 2023, Dan Evans. 38, Roman Cephalian. 39, he made it pretty far Wimbledon. And 40 is the Australian Alexi Poprin who saw some success on clay last season, winning a title in Umag? I will kick it off with my buy from this tier. And that is the 36th ranked player. His name is Archer Fees, And he just lost in the finals of the next gen finals to Ahmad Medyarovic, who we spoke about last episode. So good on us for for talking him up uh, ahead of that win. We look pretty good in the fallout of that. That was before that happened. Uh, But Fease... John is an insane athlete. I recommend watching the video of him competing against the other next-gen guys in an NFL combine-esque athletic measurables competition. Uh, He smoked everyone. This guy is just an athletic freak. He went 25-17 and on the main tour in 2023. He won a title on clay. His last 52 on the main tour, he's 9-4 and on clay with a 26.5 break percentage. I think with the right draw, this guy is a threat to make the quarters and three of four slams 36 I think this guy is a threat to be the top 25 or higher this time next year what do you think about the young Frenchman John
1: yeah I think anytime and this is this is the easy one right this is kind of the 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 low hanging fruit if you will because the kid is a t- already a top 25 talent the serves there the athleticism is there the well-rounded game is there the power is there um the, the surface versatility which I didn't think was there yet? We saw him. He won Lyon. His first title was on clay, which was unexpected. Obviously, quick courts are not going to be a problem for him, right, uh, with that serve. If he's not in the top 25 at year's end, I'd be stunned. And so he's 36th right now. It's an obvious buy. And it's the easiest buy in this in this kind of range. And, I mean, it, you know, it, there's, no, there's no real denying that. The other thing, though, I want to say, to add one layer of context here, I'm interested to see how the frenchman decides to schedule how many times have we seen breakout campaigns from young kids and then I'm 36 I don't have to play that many 250s I'll just play all the 500s I want because a lot of the 500s remember Beijing and Tokyo go back to being the same week this year Basel Vienna um I think Rotterdam is going to be split starting in 2025 it isn't now but he could get in at the th- at 36 to Rotterdam as well any 500 he wants to play he'll get into Okay, so is he only going to look to play the Masters, the 500s and the slams? I think that would be a mistake with with young kids like this. Continuing to develop your game is important. That means a lot of matches are important. If you're going to play only the big events, you're not guaranteed to win or to go to the quarterfinals week in, week out because you're playing the other best players in the world. Right. And so I'd like to see how his schedule looks, particularly in February. I think the, the, his, the saving grace here is that he's French and you're going to see Montpellier and Marseille on the schedule. And, you know, it, it would be ridiculous if he didn't play those or if they didn't find a way to bring him to those freaking events. It's their biggest young star. So I, I think he'll be okay. And I'm with you. I think top 25 is is absolutely the goal for him this year. I just hope he doesn't get caught up post-February in this mindset that I'm only going to play the biggest events. You need wins. You need to continue to develop your game. You need match play. And you need confidence right a young kid that loses four in a row because he's only playing the biggest events that could hurt one's confidence and you you don't want that to happen either so that's the one thing i'd i'd say about Artof is hopefully um him and his team sit down and and schedule properly and and do take on plenty of 250s he's young enough to play all the time right he's not going to break down physically so uh, i'd like to see him win a couple titles this year down at that level
0: by the way i wish they would do that athletic measurable competition uh, as standard not just for next gen guys but uh, do, do an atp combine it'd be nice to know uh, some measurables on these guys uh, and i think people would be interested and watch to be quite frank anyway that's my own personal take john do you have a buy in the top 31 to 40 here
1: if i did it would have to be it would have to be dan evans because he had a terrible year for all intents and purposes, somehow just had that random Washington run. I just think his game is, his serve is actually, especially on a quick surface, it's underrated. And he does have that well-rounded game. He's got that beautiful slice. He's good with point construction. He's got the drive in the heart of a lion. Can we really expect him to suck for for those long periods again this season? I'm going to go with no. I'm just going to go with I'm if he's not a buy because I think he's going to be a top 10 player and I think he's the best player in the world. He's a buy because he had such a bad year. It's, you know, we're treating this as the stock market, right? You're buying insanely low here. This is his floor. He is down right now at 38th in the world. He's behind Borna Chorich, who I'll get to in a second. And, and I mean, I, I think there is plenty of room for him to jump back up into that top 25, top 30 range. Get him back on grass. I'm sorry. I, I still think that when he gets his exemption to play a challenger, he's going to be in comp, you know, competitive and, and contending at whatever grass challenger he plays. I am absolutely buying in on his Wimbledon this year. Yeah, give me Dan Evans as a, as a slight buy here with room to uh, to jump up the rankings. And and not just that, but we talk about individual matches. He'll be undervalued because he had a terrible year. His form will be awful. His last 52-week statistics will be terrible, so your quantitative data is going to spit out um, you know, disrespectful lines. Remember, he likes quick courts. His serve plays up. The slice is more effective on lower-bouncing quick courts. Hello, Australia.
0: His break percentage was down a full 4%. Uh, this year down to 20.9 percent it was 24.1 in 2022 and he usually is around 23 24 25 in that so he was he was not breaking uh, like he usually does and double fall percentage up to four percent high, highest since 2017 for him he went 18 and 26 as worst year he also was three and six in tie breaks so uh, might see some positive regression there as well. And, and keep
1: in mind that the places he has to pick up points are the places he should be best on, right? Like he struggled last year on the surfaces. He should have been better on. in Australia. He did go to the third round of the Aussie open and he'll have to defend that, which I think he can do just fine, but he didn't win a match in his tune up in Adelaide. He only, he needed three sets to beat Ramos and in And the only match he picked up any points in at the United cup, he didn't win a single match in Doha, Dubai, Indian Wells, or Miami. And then on grass, R one Wimbledon, R one Queens Club, second round of a challenger in Surbiton, Atlanta, which should be kind to him. Lost from six two up, uh, Toronto R one, Cincinnati R one. So even though he has five hundred points to defend in Washington, Beijing quick courts R one, he got center there, took a set off him. Um, Shanghai third round, Chengdu second round, but it was first match. He's got a ton of places he can pick up points, and the places he struggled in where he will look to pick up points are. Actually, has better surfaces, so at better conditions, not just surfaces, because Indian Wells is technically a good surface for, but terrible conditions. The rest, you know, Chengdu, Beijing, Cincinnati, Wimbledon, Queens Club, Adelaide. Uh, There's a ton of spots for him to pick up points and add to what he got last year, and he has a lot of time to do it before having to defend that Washington title. Yeah, you know what? I'm 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 talking myself into being a a bigger buy on him this season than uh, than than I had originally thought.
0: Did maintain his hold percentage at 78 percent pretty much been steady in that range since 2019 so yeah you mentioned his service game still there and the numbers reflect that as well all right my cell john in this range aslan karatsev number 35 in the rankings Uh, in 2021 karatsev splashed onto the scene Going deep at the AO and backing that up with titles throughout the year. Landing at 18 in the rankings. 2022 started off well with a title in Sydney before the wheels totally fell off, fell to 59 in the rankings. So he's back up to 35 in 2023. Largely thanks to his run in Tokyo, a final that he lost to Ben Shelton. He's 30 now. The double faults are still there. The unforced errors are still there. Uh, But what he really improved... This year is his ability to hold up to 82% in 2023 from 74% in 2022. The break percentage, though, sub 20 at 18%, lowest of his three big main tour years. I mean, is this guy going to hold his way to a higher ranking? I'm going to guess not. He's just too erratic. This guy's going to fall back down to probably outside the top 50 for me, or I think, in in 2024 season. What do you think about Mr. Karatsev? John.
1: Yeah, it's it's Aslan Karatsev. <laughs> I mean, he could be top 20 by end of season, or he could be, you know, 74th. I he's either a buy or a sell. I don't know if anyone's gonna sit here and say, you know what? I'm neutral on Aslan Karatsev. I think uh 35 is the perfect range for him. I think it's if you believe in him, you believe he's he's gonna lock in and actually pair week to week, then you you probably give him a good shot to rise up the rankings, if anything. If you think he's gonna be error prone lackadaisical, nonchalant, you're probably thinking, as you do, he's lucky to be at 35 right now that he's going to dip, and I'd probably be in the latter camp as well.
0: Honorable mention sells here. Chris Eubanks, uh, he's got a lot of points to defend with the, the Wimbledon quarterfinal, and uh, same with Roman sophilian off his Wimbledon run as well. sophilian uh, I also think, had a couple deep runs during the clay season. Two guys that kind of had outlier years for their career. Two guys I think are pretty likable. Um, especially Chris Eubanks, but I could easily see them tumbling out of the top 30 to 40 guys because they're mainly serve yeah. guys, not a lot of variety.
1: For me, it's, it's born of charge. I, I think for like, I, I understand some people might not like this just because he does have like when he does play well, he seems to like win events. And sure, if he can string a couple of them together, he's not going to drop all that much. I'm just in the camp that he looks thoroughly underpowered in today's today's like the modern day ATP when he was a prospect or when he was around in 2017 2018 I think he looked okay I think the redirection of pace was fine he just looks underpowered now across surfaces right the surface versatility was supposed to be his calling card and I just don't know what he does all that well and the the problem is the unforced errors just don't seem to to reduce or or to to be clawed back at all And if you're going to play a relatively underpowered kind of pace redirection game, you can't commit as many errors as he does. I don't trust his health either. If that knocks him out for, let's say, he gets hurt before Madrid and he's out till after Madrid, those points are gone and there's nothing there for him to go out and, you know he's not going to be able to play to defend them so i'm going to go ahead and, and sell on uh born a i think he'll be out of the top 50 again by years end. whether it's health whether it's being underpowered whether it's the unforced errors there's just too much there's too many question marks and red flags with him uh for me to to not believe that he's a sell in this cat in this uh ranking kind of cluster
0: 22 and 19 on tour this season 17 17%, 17.5 break percentage that is not good For a guy who has an underrated service game, I think, but if he's not going to be breaking guys, yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough slog for Torch in 2024. All right, John, let's move on to 41 to 50 here. 41, Mackenzie McDonald. 42, Andy Murray. Somehow, some way, Unbelievable. 43, Sebastian Offner, 44, Matteo Arnaldi. 45, Max Purcell. 46, Lorenzo Sonego, who feels like he's about 46 in the world. (laughs) 47, Yoshi Nishioka. 48, Alex Shevchenko, all the way up to 48. 49, Stan Wawrinka. 50 is Bodic van de Zanskul. And I will kick it off with my bye here. And that is the 44th ranked player, Matteo Arnaldi, the young Italian. It was one of the big stories of 2023. He had such a good year that he also seems like a fade candidate because he burned so bright. Can he burn any brighter? But... Uh, because he was so poorly ranked to start the year at 134, he's only landed at 44 in the rankings, and uh, he is 31st, though, in the ELO ratings, so that's almost playing as well as a top 30 player in the world for the entire year. I'm not saying he's cracking the top 20, but I do think he's one of the 44 best tennis players in the world at the moment. Uh, wins in 2023, beat Casper Ruud in Madrid, Diego Schwartzman in Rome, Yuri Laheshka in Umog, feast in Cam Nori. At the U.S. Open, made the round of 16. He picked up wins at two of four Slams. I think he's got a shot to get a win or two at each now. I don't like. like I said I don't know that he's like ascending into the top 30, but I think that uh, he's going to be. I don't see him falling. I think he's he's in a position to to keep the wins coming and the points coming. John, what do you think about Matteo Rinaldi?
1: Yeah, again, I think this is one you got the you got the nice one, the easy one here. I, you can't can't disagree with it. He's he showed his I think the big thing this year that he showed was he could play it at, at the higher level a bit more consistently and that he could tra- uh, translate his game onto hard courts. Right, that's a big adjustment for young Italians. And he did so Pretty well. I'm not going to say he dominated hard courts, but he did better than I thought he would. So I think you're already, you're already seeing that kind of upward trajectory. There's no reason to believe that doesn't continue. And if you're good on clay and hard courts, that's 90% of the tour, 95% of the tour, right? So and, you know, slower, slower hard courts are going to resemble clay a bit for him. He's going to be fine in Indian Wells. I think he showed himself to be just fine with his uh, weaponry and firepower on quicker hard courts. I think there's nowhere to go but up for him, you know, barring injury. All these are barring injury, of course, right? Except the cells, which Sometimes they're going to include injury as a handicap, but like barring injury, I, I can't see him not uh, breaking that at least top 40, right? Move up at least four spots. And I'd agree there. My buy, I'm going to go a little stupid with my pick here and take Bodic van de Zansko. Look, he's his game is too good. I've watched him a few times covering his matches for tennis form. And every time he plays a set where you're just like, how is this guy mired in losing streaks consistently? I mean he can generate pace with the forehand, he can redirect pace, he can hit with just beautiful angles, cl- uh, crisp flat balls. The first serve can find cheap points when it's clicking and he's landing it consistently. Th- the backhand isn't a weakness and then you start to see he'll lose that range and he-, he tries to be a little too precise. And this is the problem, you know. I was tweeting about this with Eric Andreva on the women's side this morning. When you're when you're trying to be too precise and and you don't have overwhelming power and your opponent can actually get to balls and and put them back in play, the second that you go from landing the ball an inch inside the 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 double the tram lines the doubles alley or the the baseline, the second you go from landing an inch inside to an inch outside of that, you're screwed, right? Because then the like your your beautiful precision turns into a slew of unforced errors. That's where his problem lies, and it happens not just match to match with him; it happens within matches too much. And I just think if he can play with a bit more margin, that's to say aim for you know six inches to a you know nine inches inside the kind of per the, the perimeter or the the boundary, your angles are still good enough. He he knows when to approach. He's smart, he's got a, a flat ball, he moves the ball around the court with angles off both wings. Just if you're if your errors are starting to come in a bit because you're missing your range, don't be you don't have to be that precise. If he plays with a bit more margin. From the baseline. I love him to to move back into the top 30, top twenty-five. He can play across surfaces too. Didn't he win a did he win a title this past summer on on uh grass?
0: Well, I was gonna say career on hard 5143, career on clay, 1714, grass eight and eight. So yes, he does have the surface uh versatility. It doesn't have a glaring um surface discrepancy in his win loss.
1: I just I think it's that if he can tighten up the margins in his game and just string together molt, like two good sets in any given match he's he's a candidate to win just about every time he hits the court against non-top 10 players and i have no problem putting him in in the best 25 30 players in the world uh, at the end of the season i think 50th is a really harsh ranking for someone of his talent level we've seen it before we've seen him climb the rankings too so it's it's nothing i'm not making a case for like a, a this crazy thought or, or trying to to predict like a four percent outcome i think it's it's in the range of all outcomes here, I think this is actually pretty high up there uh, among the the likelihoods.
0: I agree with you. I I thought about putting down Boda because more of an interesting pick than I had. Um, So yeah, I I think he's also 41st in the ELO ratings. So the data says he's playing a little bit higher than his actual rank. There you go. John, my cell, I have two cells actually uh, in this range and it's Sebastian Offner, and Stan Wawrinka, Offner built a lot of this rank off going 37 and 13 on the challenger level while only going 13 and 14 on the main tour. So he's going to play a lot more main tour events this year, like likely. And while he can have some sublime moments of shot making, he also misses a lot. I, I just don't think this guy's very good, to be quite frank. And uh, I, I think his inconsistency is, is going to sink him against guys who are just more consistent tour players. And in terms of Stan Morinka, um, there's going to be moments to back him in 2024, uh, but the Sands are running out on that hourglass. Uh, his time on this tour is is running out. He was very beatable this year.
1: Yeah, I agree on often on Stan. I mean, the only problem with Stan is I'm looking at it at his 2023. I'm like, he didn't really out like even the UMAC final. I don't even think it's 200 points. It was just consistently decent runs that somehow got him into the top 50 in the world. I mean, Indian Wells' fourth round, I don't know if he backs that up. If there is a place he could, though, the slower hard courts that he has the power to hit through, I wouldn't be surprised. Marseille quarterfinal, Rotterdam quarterfinal, like the big Baldo challenger, which was a 175 quarterfinal. Where was, like, I guess fourth round of Cincy, I wouldn't expect him to replicate it's just tough because I don't I don't see where he really drops a ton of points. He's a sell just just because I think he gets not lucky, but I just I can't stand uh, his game at his age. But I just I, it's it's hard for me to to say I I would sell on stand just because there's nowhere where you see a ton of points dropping off and and you don't think it's likely that he can replace them. If anything, I think he'll fluke a bunch of two fifty quarterfinals this year and, and keep that ranking right where it is.
0: And how much can you live off crowd backing? Uh, as well. I I, I mean, that really does fuel a lot of his matches, I feel. Um, Because everywhere he goes, he's one of the most popular players. I don't think he played particularly great this year. Your argument makes sense in terms of how he's probably not going to lose a ton of points. Also, if you were going to like bet someone who actually follows tennis, like a a fellow tennis head, this would be actually a good trick at a bar. Like, hey, who's higher ranked in the rankings right now? Sebastian Offner or Matteo Ornaldi? Would anybody (laughs) say... Say Offner? You, you probably think Offner is like in the 70s. like It's a bizarre ranking to me.
1: His hype came too early. Also, his hype came, it wasn't really hype. He built that with like five challenger finals. I think he lost all of them. He did. Uh, but that's how he really built that ranking, right? Was in the first six months. So one, Arnaldi's more recent. His success is more recent. And two, I think he did a little bit more at tour level to turn the average tennis fan's head. Or even, not diehard, but Pretty gung ho tennis fan. A lot of there's a lot of big tennis fans that just don't watch the Challenger Tour. So where did Offner really have that tour level success that stands out in your memory? And when did he did he do it recently? Right, those are the two factors. You're right. I I don't think anyone would answer Offner, and I think that's why. I think it's just because he did it at a lower level, just consistently, and he did it so long ago. I think it was the first five six months of the season that he. That's how he got to the tour level. Was just building up. And you know what? He is better than the Challenger Tour. Like he's he's a typical We're a North American podcast. So for those who understand baseball, he's a, he's a typical quadruple A player, right? He's too damn good for the Challenger Tour. Like his game is way too big um and even on hard courts that aren't his best, his opponents don't have games to rush him. So he still gets a ton of time to use that power. Uh when he gets to tour level though, it's just it does look a little too clay centric, a little too uh one dimensional um and so I, I yeah I, I think that's that, that, that's a good point when you think about it. All
0: right, John, let's move to 51 to 60 here. 51 is Yannick Hoffman. 52 is Dusan Lajovic. 53 is J.J. Wolf. 54 is Mio Kishmanovic. 55, Jordan Thompson. 56, Dan Altmeier, who I like backing a little bit last year. 57, Bautista Agut off a terrible year. 58, Zhang Zhen. 59, Marton Fuchevich. 60 is Marcos Giron, And... I have here two words for my buy, and that is not sure, and then for my sell, I wrote everyone, question mark, (laughs) (laughs) because there is no one that I truly believe in for 2024 in this range. What do you think here, John?
1: I think I'm done buying on Mio Kichmanovich. It feels like every single year I try and make the case. This guy was a great junior. He's, you know, has a nice game, well-rounded. He's got under, underrated or undervalued power. His first serve is decent. Came up on clay, then slow hard courts are probably where he's had his most notable results. And then every single year, he just, and he's he's just getting out of shape too. So unless he comes back looking like he spent November and December just in the gym and, and committed, I just don't know how you, how you could buy in on Mio at this point. JJ Wolf. A lot like a Diana Yastremska or Clara Tosin on the women's side. I think he's a bit older than them, but point is he came up to the tour, he showed he has the power to stick around. All he had to do is, you know, develop more dimension to his game, and he just hasn't. Right. We we praised him during clay season for one or two good wins. Like, oh, here they are. Here are those wins. Here is the the kind of dimension and, and consistency we were looking for, and it's gone. So it's yeah, it's a graveyard of Of talent in terms of who I who I believe in at this point, (laughs) I'm done being fooled by any of these people. To be honest, maybe Daniel Altmaier, maybe I'd buy on Altmaier, getting better on hard courts, one handed backhand, becoming a bit less of a vulnerability. Yeah, perhaps I could I could leave a a faint glimmer of hope uh, in my gut for for Daniel Altmaier, but everyone else, forget it.
0: Altmaier, I do kind of like as well. I, I one he's typically undervalued by the books for his ability to actually like survive rallies. And he's not terrible on serve either um doesn't have a terrible service game backhand's kind of liability but only 25 so uh, he's still working half the guys in this tier are 30 and older five five of ten interesting i wanted like zhang jian but his game is so volatile like i could see him <laughs> he's a karantz type uh in a way I- like I, I could see him like vault into the top 40 but also tumble out of the top 100.
1: I was just going to say, I was like, if you sell on Karatsev, you can't buy on Zhang. Like, it's, it's, I was just, I was going to bring that up as soon as you said it. I was like, can't do it. You cannot buy one and sell the other. So just stick on the fence with Zhang.
0: (laughs) He is kind of a a guy I like to bet, though. Because he's also another guy that's typically undervalued.
1: Uh, Like, Karatsev against any top 10 player on a quick hard court at, like, plus 400, you're going to bet. You Don't care if you lose one six one six. Who gives a shit? It's a plus four hundred. You could also win that 30, 40 percent of the time. And then it, and long run, that could be an insanely profitable kind of position to take. Same thing with Zhang, man. Like he's he's just too he's got too much talent to be blown out. He's one of the rare players. Your plus one and a half sets with that guy is like a perfect bet when he's a huge underdog because you just need that red line. He could beat almost anyone for a set at his red line level. Probably not Alcaraz, center, Djokovic, Medvedev. You know, I mean like top, top, top talent, but anyone ranked 11 to a thousand when he's playing his top level, he can for a set. He can take it. The money line might not come in. He might lose the sets two six two six. six six. So I don't like the plus games with him, but the sets are there and, and he's he's going to be a profitable uh, guy for plus one and a half sets when he's a, a big underdog.
0: All right, let's keep it moving here. 61 to 70. 61 is Jack Draper. 62 is Alex Vukic. 63 is Carbayas Benya. 64, Fabian Marishan. 65, Tanasi Kakanakis. 66, Nuno Borges. 67, Pavel Kotov off his hot fall. Uh, 68, Chris O'Connell. 69, Emil Rusevori, who feels like he should be higher than the 69th best player in the world, but there he is. And especially when you consider that 70th is Pedro Kachin. Uh, who is just kind of an under the radar grinder? Rusevori, I think, is someone that people expect bigger things from, but here he is next to Pedro Kachin in the rankings.
1: Well, I I think that honestly, before you give your buys, I think that playing flashy is kind of overvalued, and this that's that kind of sentiment just reflects it in tennis. A flashy game, rusavori has a very flashy game, but consistency is worth something. Right Point construction is worth something, and he, those are two things he's never mastered, and he's 69th as a result. Kachin has been very good. He's developed his serve. He's worked his ass off at the Challenger Tour. He's stopped, some people would say, fixing. I would say screwing around at the lower levels, and, and he's earned his place. I think that Pedro Kachin deserves, on the, on the, on the merits of what they've done the last two years, to be one, to be neck and neck with Rusevori, I would say it's absolutely deserved. I don't care whose game is bigger, because frankly, Nick Kyrgios would be number one in the world if that was the case. These things are worth something uh, in terms of consistency, putting in the effort week to week, and you know, using your head on court. And the, like, R- I love Rusevori, but he is not a smart player. He's not a tactical player. He's not a point construction based player, and he sure as hell is not consistent on court. And he deserves until he. Like JJ Wolf or like Diania Ostremska, until it's like, oh man, my power, my talent got me to this point. Great. Now develop your game. Play tennis. Don't just ball bash. Just like I tell Sarah Arani and these other marathon runners with rackets in their hand play tennis. Don't just get everything back. Do something more. That's my Rusevori rant for the day.
0: Rusavori is a, a good dog bet. I think he was like plus 300 versus center on that grass tournament earlier this year. Cash that ticket. I was on that. That was pretty good. But uh, yeah, he's also, so he is a dog or pass. He's the quintessential dog or pass guy. Um, he's oftentimes a, a a way too overvalued favorite. All right. My buy is an easy one. we talk about low hanging fruit guys, and this is maybe the ultimate low hanging fruit guy. And that the 61st ranked player, Jack Draper. He, I mean, layup pick I wrote here last year on our season long odds show. Uh, he was only like 12 to one to make the top eight for the season. Uh, where he was 42nd in the world. Uh, so the books uh, like this guy, and rightfully so, he fell from 42 to 61 in the ranks on a year marred by injury. And that's this guy's deal. I mean, he's injury prone. He can't last in matches. Saw it just play out against Demodor in a match. He was dominating until his body completely failed him back in October. But if he stays healthy, this guy is uh, going to rip and he's going to be back in the top 40 at least. John, do you have any buys in this range? Oh, I have another one. Sorry, uh, And this one, uh, yeah, for 64, Fabian Marishon. I mean, the drop shot is lethal, and he's shown surface versatility. He's got variety. I, I like him. He's awesome. I-, I don't know why he can't rock it up into the top 50. Quite frankly, a lot of guys are just not as talented. A listener actually asked about him and another guy, but I'll let you uh, give some Marichon thoughts here, John, before we hop into the other guy.
1: Yeah, the serve is good. Look, I I, I thought he was going to be more of just a plain clay court player. I thought he'd be a little rushed on other surfaces, but it's it's clear that the, the hard courts don't bother him as much as I I thought they would, which is obviously excellent progression for a relatively young young player. That's another thing; his youth is is gives him a lot more room to improve, a lot more development that can be done. And because he played a lot of the most of last year the Challenger tour, if he's going to play at the top uh, top end of the or on the top circuit, pardon me. Um he's got plenty of room to to add points as well. So I I don't mind that at
0: all. So Piranha Tennis is the, the listener. Shout out to him, loyal fan. Appreciate you, bud. He also asked about Atman. The Atman. Frenchman. Atman, the Frenchman. What do you think about him for twenty twenty four, John?
1: I'm not as big on him as other people are. I get that his game is big and I get that he had a few good results. I'd say late, more uh, later on in the season, not late, late in the season because he was dog shit down the stretch, but like later on in the season, if you know what I mean, there's 11 months. So let's say months, I think nine and 10, he was pretty good or, or eight, nine, whatever you get my freaking point. I'm annoying myself now. Um, look, I, I'm not sold. Uh, the hyper-aggression for a guy who claims to have an IQ around 160, I just don't see much point construction. I don't see much tactical awareness. I don't see... The thing is, with such a high IQ, isn't one of the best, the biggest things is like thinking on the spot, under pressure like that. That should be one of the biggest advantages of being super smart is you don't need the time to process and and what you know whatnot. That's where I find that I'm just not big on him. Do I think he's going to cause upsets on quick courts when he's at the challenger level against guys dropping down, perhaps? Absolutely. Would I bet him is like a plus 200 a lot? Sure. Am I laying games with him against like a Lee Two or even a Coleman Wong? or lesser-known guys where he's going to be a big favorite, not a chance. Not a chance. So I I, I think you, you would buy his stock just because of his ranking and, and how low it is. But I, I don't think I'd be sitting here being like, I expect big things from Taylor Satman this year. Put it that way. For my buy on this range, I'm going to go with Pavel Kotov, right? You know how much I love Pavel Kotov. How many times was it? Three times in Stockholm he was a dog? Or in a two-week span, I think he was a dog in in that tournament. I love betting Pavel. He's good across surfaces. His serve is underrated. He's a he's a relatively smart player. The motivation and like the the way he just sinks into the ground sometimes is a little annoying. But now that he's in that top seventy, I don't think Kotov is going to be nearly as like unmotivated or demotivated as he has been in tournaments in the past. So I'm going to go with him as my buy. He's good on clay. He's good on hard courts. That's what you need. Um, to succeed year round on this tour, it could be Pavel Kotov and he's also a guy that's not going to be shy to dip down to the two fifties and like vulture a, a title or two at, at a relatively low level event. So uh, I think that uh, the Russian is someone to buy here. And I sell real fast before you go into anything? You have Tenasi Uh The return game is is crap. He's not as good on quicker surfaces as people I think expect him to be. I think clay has been his best surface the last few years just because he need he does need more reaction time uh, and he isn't very good on return on quicker courts and, and his serve is still good enough to pierce through it his motivation he's very nick curio they're they're good buddies and you can tell a lot of the nick curio's poor habits and attitude have rubbed off on tennacy uh he doesn't play enough he's too injury prone good on tennacy for reaching a career high at 65th i don't i don't think he's going to stay there i don't think he, he he's going to play enough uh, win enough, or stay healthy enough to to maintain a top 75 ranking next year.
0: Yeah, he had a kind of a bad summer, Tenassi. He was losing in Canadian challengers. Not good. I'm going to stay with fading Australians, and I'm going to sell the 62nd ranked player in Alex Vukic. This guy is a full fade off a lightning fast hard court. He lived off his Atlanta run. He was a good bet that week, that week only, although he did have one good win, I think, in Toronto after that. But yeah, I just this guy's not very good. I, I I mean he's a big server. He doesn't offer anything else. So oh, he beat Corda. That was a big win. I was making money fading him during the grass season, and then he has that one week, which he was actually like gonna get knocked out of Atlanta by Yoshi, but somehow pulled that off. And then I let that one week get in my head. Gave some units back back in this guy. If I just stayed fading him, I would have kept adding units. I did. Fade him towards the end. Got, got off the Vukic train at the end. What do you think about Vukic, John?
1: Eh, I don't know. I have no thoughts on Vukic, honestly. Don't don't really care about him. Exactly. I think he could be good in Australia. I think he could lose first round every time. Who cares? Don't care. <laughs> exactly. Boring. Dull. Fraud.
0: <laughs> yes. Look at that.
1: There's three thoughts. I do have thoughts on Vukic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and... The- and they're all poignant. Um, all right. 71 through 80 here. 71, Rinky Hadjikata. I talked about him last time out. 72, Born of Goya. up to 72. Good job, Goya. Uh, 73, Ben Bonzi. 74, Gail Monfils. 75, Taro Daniel. 76, Richard Gasquet. 77, Dom Kepfer. 78, Tomas Mahach. 79, Tiago Vilch. 80, Bernabi. Zapata Miralles BZM, who had a pretty good 2023 that he kicked off with a nice golden swing and backed up with some, some decent wins throughout the year. This is another tier. Actually, John, we can kind of round to the finish. From here on out, there is not someone from 70 to 100 that I'm super stoked on to bet in 2024. Tomas Mahach, I think, is an interesting player. He's lit it up on the indoor scene to round out. 2023 uh, but i'm still iffy on him i i just i i i'm not i can't fully buy in i don't think his service game is is very big and i think bigger matches i think he's gonna live on very marginal edges have to really like land a few points to survive against better players i don't know is there anyone from 70 71 to 100 that you're interested in in
1: 2024 yeah um ben bonesy Look, give me a give me a healthy Ben Bonesy in 2024. I love his serve. I think it's underrated. I don't like I'm not, I don't love it because it's one of the best in tennis. I love it because I think it's underrated. I think he again, a guy who can play the grass in the indoor courts, just help that serve play up. I I he's another guy who is not going to be scared to go down to the challenger level, even though he's, you know, in that top 80. He's not an arrogant guy. He'll do it all the time. And he will go deep in a lot of those events. I think there's plenty of room to pick up points. And I just think he's a little too well rounded to be as low as 73rd. I think a lot of that was was it this year he picked up that injury against Sitsi Pass on on clay in where was it? I had Sitsi Pass. I, I actually had Sitsi Pass there where I um, on the minus games and he got off to a nice start before Ben hurt his uh forearm. But yeah, it, give me a healthy season of Ben Bonesy where he's got plenty of quick court play. And I'm in on that. I'm also in on Tiago Seboch Vilch, I think. He's a guy who has the game to make the jump to tour level on clay. The question is, he's going to have, I think, a bit to defend. I think there was a two-week stretch where he won a couple of challengers that he's going to have to defend. And those are like 200 points. Doesn't seem like a lot. Defending two challengers may not seem like a lot to people who only watch the ATP tour. But 200 points is over a quarter of his total right now. He's at 718 ranking points. If if he, I think he won two in a row, and I think they are both 100s, maybe 75s. Even if it's 150, you catch my drift. It's still over 20 percent of his total ranking. So there is that caveat that there there are going to be times this year where he does have to defend some stuff. But we saw on grass where I thought he would look terrible. He actually looked better than I thought. He didn't look good by any means, but he, he outperformed my expectations at the very least. I'm I'm anxious to see how, if at all, he improves off of clay, and then he's going to get to play 250s with his ranking this year. And he's going to be dangerous if he's kind of playing the way he did last year when he started to turn the corner. Um, other than that, I mean...
0: Sorry, before we move on to other guys, Fielce does have a 250 title. He won Santiago in 2020.
1: Yeah, that was and that was an epic... What was the final in that? 7-6, 6-7, 7-6 or something?
0: Against Rude.
1: He wow. had an absolutely epic three, three-and-a-half-hour match. And it wasn't just like they were going back and forth. Local. It was like high quality too. Like it was a fun one. That was a while back. But I mean, in terms of point defense, uh, not in terms of like winning his maiden title, I think he'll compete at the 250 level. And you're right. You know what? I Especially on that golden swing, I didn't really think of it where the, the fields are weaker. But I mean, even in Europe, I think the 250s and like Lyon if he plays it in its last year. It, you know, th- those types of places, he could do a lot of damage. And I think he has a lot of room to improve that ranking. Uh, despite, I believe, having a few challengers to defend. Finally, I guess I will buy on Max Martyr. Remember, we sold already on Van Ash and Mickelson, who are in this range in our last episode, or at least I sold on them. I'll back Maximilian Martyr for the opposite reasons of of selling those two. He's not young, but he's 28. And I, I feel like he's a young 28 because his career has just been interrupted so much by injury that... It feels like he's never really had the chance to spend 11 months on tour and really build up that ranking to see where he can go. And you could you saw his potential late season indoors. I, I really think he could build his way back into the top 50. He's been there before in, I think, the one time he's been healthy for a season in his career. I wouldn't be surprised to see him win a, a couple early season challengers. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do some damage to the Australian. Open with that big lefty serve on a quicker court. Aggressive forehand. I don't think he's got a very weak backhand either for someone who plays a power game. He moves decently for someone his size, and he's going to have a, a long time before he has to defend his best results that came later in the season, right, uh, indoors. And I think if he builds himself up inside the top 40 or 45 by then, he ain't falling out when the when those points from Antwerp drop off. So I'll buy on Maximilian Martyr in this range to to round out the, my, uh, my buys and sells for this episode.
0: Berrettini is at 92, so obviously he'll probably tick up. Um, if he stays healthy uh, this year, he's an interesting guy for 2024, Matteo Berrettini, especially because is he going to like, like the one, one sign of being healthy? Are the books going to just immediately start booking him like old Berrettini? Cause if that's true, then he's going to be an obvious fade, but are we going to have a chance kind of like Zverev when he was coming back? Like we were getting some decent ver- Zverev odds, both to fade and to back him. I'm, he, he's an interesting guy in, in terms of how he's going to get booked, I think, for 2024. Last guy I want to talk about, I think could be a buy, is uh, Yosuke Wantanuki. We've seen big serving scammers have success on this tour. He is an up-and-coming one. He is up to 78 in the ELO ratings uh, versus his 99 ATP rank. Um, so I, I think this guy could have some success finding some holds on tour this season, although he was kind of, uh, the books were kind of in on him a little bit to end. He wasn't getting the, as good of odds as as you would you would like. He's not so under the radar these days. Would you agree with that, John?
1: Yeah, I don't think I, I think on quicker surfaces he'll always be a buy. My problem is he's a little too he he's pigeonholed himself into quick surface success. I, I'll never trust him on clay. I don't know how comfortable he is on grass at Indian Wells. I'm never going to be betting on him. That's my issue with Watnuki. I also don't know at tour level, he's got to win a lot of flips. He's got to have a perfect service day and win a lot of flips because he's terrible on return against good competition. I think he's, if he's going to, if you're going to buy on Watanuki, then you have to think he's going to win a lot of late season Asian uh, swing challengers or or maybe win the Phoenix 175 or really build up points at a lower level, win a couple 250s indoors, maybe. I think that's where your path, I don't think your path is. I, want, I, I think he's going to make the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, and those points will help bump him up. You know what I mean? It, it's going to have to be consistent success at the lower levels for a guy uh, with his game. I just don't trust it. Oh, one more quick thing, too. We're, we went to 100. If we go outside of the top, just outside of the top 100, I mean, not even to 110. There are a few more guys I would actually buy on here. Jason Kubler, as always. McCubler come on to finish in the top 100 Flavio Caboli to finish the top 100 Hugo Gaston um, had just a terrible miserable start to the year he didn't look like he wanted to play at all um, for a lot of 2023 then he found a stretch where indoors clay it just didn't matter the game is clicking he moves the ball around well he hits a spin redirects pace the first serve is placed well when he's hitting it down the tee that lefty serve down the tee off the ad side He has sneaky pace on it that he can generate cheap points with Uh, 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 indoors in particular. He's just good across surfaces. He's super smart. He's super tough to hit through. He's a hard worker. And when he's locked in mentally, he's absolutely a top, I'd say top 65, 70 player. And that's probably being conservative. So outside of the top 100, he's an easy buy. Michael Mo, if he can stay healthy, he's a buy, serve and grind kind of guy. And there you have it. There's another four guys between 101 and 105 um, that I think are, are buys for me. Uh, of course with Michael Moe, it's health dependent, but that's not a surprise. It's always health dependent with him. So
0: he's um, uh, yeah. pesky Mo.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's got a good people don't realize he's got a really good first serve too. Like it's he's got the grinder to him, but it's more of like the serve grind type than than just pure Roberto Carbaia's Baina grinder. You know what I mean? Like he he's got don't 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 kid yourself. He can find cheap points with his first serve on quicker courts. You know, there were two double baggles on the women's side today. I know the ATP season is over, but, um, or one's not finished yet. One is six points away. But we had a double baggle with Renata Zarasua. And as we speak, Maria Lourdes Carle is about to double baggle uh, Polona Herzog, both in Montevideo. I Again, I know this is an ATP uh, podcast, but how can we not, how can you not mention that when two matches at the same event out of four, half the matches at one event might be double baggles?
0: <laughs> and this isn't like qualifying on the first round. We're Thursday. So this is pretty yeah. deep. Second round. <laughs> pretty deep yeah. into this tournament for that. As,
1: as we record, it's six love, four love, 1530 on return for Carly. So there's a chance Herzog rips off four straight uh, or three straight here. And, and now it's 1540. So we're five points away from a, a second double bagel, a double double bagel, if you will. That's a coffee reference joke for Canadians. I know you don't know what a double double is, but that's yeah. how we order coffee here. You go to Tim Hortons. I'm Quick story before we end the podcast for anyone who's listened to this far. Went to Kentucky once for a football game, right? College football game against Louisville, Governor's Cup, huge weekend. Blast. Had an absolute blast. Walk into Dunkin' Donuts. I look at her and I go, the, the lady at the counter, I go, hey, can I get a, a large double double? She didn't even ask me what it was. She just blank stared at me as if like, no, don't order that. I'm not even responding to you. Try again. And I looked at my friend and he's like, you idiot, they don't know what that is. I'm like, two cream, two sugar, double-double, what do you mean? That's how we order two cream, two sugar in Canada, believe it or not. Fun fact for our American listeners.
0: (laughs) Double-double sounds intense, but that's how I eat my
1: burgers. (laughs) It is, it's two cream, two sugar, two of each, double-double. I always found that funny. It'll be a story that never leaves me, right, just because... It's it to here. It's everyday life since I since I started drinking coffee at fourteen. That's how we order now. I don't drink cream or sugar in my coffee, but uh, always I'll always remember that story. just the the cultural differences for two countries that are so similar, right down to our accents. You know, the TV shows we watch. We have so much American culture here that it's nice to have a little bit of Canadiana. You know what, you know what I mean? Remind us that we're we're not totally Americanized up here.
0: <laughs> I, no, I I love it. I love those little uh, fun facts uh, between the countries. Uh, speaking of Canada, uh, Dennis Shapovalov, 109 in the rings. Oof. Oof. yeah. Well, John, we've said it all for this episode. My child is calling for me. I need to wrap it up. Follow John at Jerry Tweets Tennis, at Tibbetts Tennis. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Do like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Our Spotify wrapped. was very positive. We are turning towards the new year. Excited to have you join us. Until next time, see
1: you in the court.